Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely. And a world given back to us, this is Wade here in the studio, social distancing from Mike, who is well on the other side of the studio. We're making full use of the length of our um, headphone microphone cords. Um, But we are recording this for Philosophy 201 Ethics. This is the second now in our series on Gilbert Mylander's book, Bioethics, a Primer for Christians. Mike has the second edition. I have the third. And we're taking this normally now two chapters at a time. We recorded last time on chapters one and two, the Christian vision and procreation and reproduction. And today we will be talking about abortion and genetic advance. And so, uh, oh, Mike, I guess I'll ask you first. Abortion, the most polarizing issue in America still today, you think? Or something else taking its place? You know, I, I thought that for a while there, things would sort of level out. And the reason I thought that is that there was a groundswell that was reluctantly pro-life because the science seemed to be so obvious. Um, I think with uh, more conservative judges, right, you have uh, the pro-choice lobby is really upping their game. And there's just been a switch in the in the pro-choice lobby, I think, from the the Clintonese, which was, you know, abortion should be rare and safe, right? Um, <clears throat> nobody wants an abortion to a, like, almost a celebration. Yeah. Like, even of late-term abortions, like, you're exercising your right. And, and the left is, like, is, is, like, acting like the right when it comes to, like, maybe guns or whatever. Like, I have the the right to my guns, and so I'm going to get every huge gun and just shoot it off into the air because it's my right. You know, like, the gun lobby should be a little bit more like, yes, this is in the Constitution. Yes, it's for protection. Yes, it is your right. But there's something else when you go and you're like, let's just shoot up a bunch of crap, you know, like, just because I can. So um, I thought guns were going to be you know, in like more of the Obama era, post-Clinton Democratic, that guns were going to be the big thing. Um, but it seems like abortion probably is making its way back to the top. Yeah, it's got to at least be a, a top two, top three. Um, and and so uh, I guess I'll just say, if you're, if you're listening to this podcast session because you're waiting for us to talk politics, uh, you're probably going to be disappointed. Uh <laughs> I don't think we're going to be coming at this through a Republican-Democrat point of view. And it's just important we say that at the beginning because, as Mike mentioned, uh, this is something that in pretty much, well, I would say every administration since Roe v. Wade um, has been an important topic of debate. And we're in an election season, and it comes up in all the debates. And so uh, we're not going to be talking about a political solution to this. This is a primer for Christians. We're going to be talking about what Christians will want to keep in mind as they think about abortion and then also genetic uh, advance. And so Mylander has something to say early on about this on page 26 in chapter 3. He says, If many Christians have nonetheless become unsure about the morality of abortion, that lack of clarity represents our failure in the face of pressure from the surrounding culture. The power and importance of law is shown precisely in the fact that so many of us even when we should know better, permit our moral judgments to be shaped by the current state of our law 
supposing mistakenly that the law, what the law permits must be morally permissible. And here I think is a, a, uh, an important point to keep in mind, and it's something that Dr. King brings up in his letter from a Birmingham jail, which we've read for this class, is that legal doesn't always mean moral. And that's something that can be forgotten on various sides of political spectrums, right? Someone comes to power, they pass a law, they think that thing is now moral. So we ought, ought not let the fact that um, that something is now policy and has been for, for quite some time mean that uh, it ought to simply be accepted as, uh, as being ethical. From the Christian perspective, then, abortion is something that um, has been uh, a concern since very early on in the church. Uh, the abortion has been around for millennia, or forms of it, exposure, just leaving a child to die um, from exposure to the weather. Uh, Christians were accused early on of things like uh, baking babies in bread, and eating them because they would eat body and blood. And Christians would sometimes go around and pick up these children who had been left to die um, to raise them with orphanages because otherwise they would be picked up by um, slave dealers or pimps and stuff like that and raised to be slaves or prostitutes. So this has been uh, something that has been a concern for Christianity since its beginning. And I think precisely because of Jesus' command to care for the least of these and I think it's interesting that probably the two big life debates in America, if we're going to talk about debates about life, um, involve the least of these. It's the very beginning of life, and then it's the very end of life um, with euthanasia. And so as we talk about abortion, we want to ground this in uh, the least of these. And then what is the value of um, an embryo or of a fetus and, and here Mylander um, throughout the book is going to emphasize, even if you can't scientifically define um, an embryo as a, as a life before the law, the fact is everything that you are was in you as an embryo. Right? All the potential for me to be me was in me as an embryo. And as far as a fetus being dependent, and sometimes that will come up as, um, it's not viable. It can't live apart from its mother. I think in a, um, he quotes uh, Paul Ramsey, um, and this phrase is very important for what follows on page 30. He reminds us that we are all fellow fetuses before God, that none of us is viable on our, our, on our own, um, that we are all dependent, um, and that this dependence then is not a knock on us but it's definitive of who we are as a person before God <clears throat> and in neighbor relationship as well, right? We've learned during this pandemic just how dependent many of us are in ways we didn't realize before. You, you want groceries? Uh, we've learned they don't just magically get there, right? Um, uh, you want hand sanitizer and soap? Uh, well, we are dependent for these things, um, and so dependence itself ought not undermine personhood or value. I just threw a lot out there, Mike. I'll let you see if you have anything you want to say. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I keep going back to this 
this sucks, sticks in my mind. I think it was uh, Gwen Eiffel was uh, running the debate between, I probably was uh, John McCain and Barack Obama. And of course, the inevitable question comes up about abortion. And then you already know where the two candidates stand, but you know, you try to parse their words, right? And uh, Barack Obama said, you know, he got to the question, when does life begin? I mean, that's, that's kind of the question. And he said, that's above my pay grade. And uh, I think it was this debate. I may have a, the debate wrong, but I'm, I'm waiting for McCain or Romney, whoever, to be go like, yeah, that's why you should be against abortion because it, you don't get to choose that, right? So err on the side of caution, you know, but uh, the, the, uh, the political speak just took over and they, I mean, they're just rehearsing things over and over again and spitting them out. But um, <clears throat> the question is, where, where is when does life begin? And if you believe that there's a soul, I mean, this, I don't want to oversimplify it, but if you believe that there's a soul, and I believe when we talk about the soul, we're talking about all of the soul is in every part of the body, including in an embryonic stage, right? right? And uh, there's plenty of biblical passages, both in, from a poetic sense and a historical sense that back this up, right. right? Sinful from the time my mother conceived me, all that kind of stuff. And this seems to fit not only the best theology, it seems to fit the best philosophy of who a human being is, regardless of your theological uh, leanings. And I believe it also seems to fit the best scientific understanding that we have. And it certainly seems to be the common sense approach to this. Now, with that said, I don't, I, you can stop me if you don't want to go down this road or whatever, but this is true, I think, not only of abortion, but more so probably in uh, debates over gun rights in America, is when you try to make a rule, a law, or whatever, and, and you end up talking more about legality than about ethics, as you've already mentioned. And uh, this is true, I've, like I said, more with the gun, gun rights and versus gun control, that the problem is, is that there's an overall culture of violence, yeah. <laughs> right? You know, like you can take all the guns away you want, or you can, you can give everybody the guns so they can protect themselves, but there is something wrong with the soul here, specifically of certain, certain, maybe certain countries in America or in, in the world. And the same is true about abortion, that the legality or the illegality of it is is part of the issue, and I, and I think those are important issues. And I don't want to say culture of death, although I think there, that that phrase can be used in the right way. I think it's I think it's John Paul II kind of made yeah. that that famous, or maybe even coined the phrase. But there's a culture of looking at what a human being is, and I think in a very dangerous way. Yeah. That. And, and it leads to not only the manufacturing of human beings, and we'll get that into a little, into that a little bit, uh, but also that uh, human beings can be disposed of, um, that there are certain human beings or groups of human beings that are pests that get in the way of progress, right? It's not that big of a leap to when you start thinking of human beings in that way, it's not that big of a leap to start justifying some pretty horrific things. So it is a philosophical and theolog theological question much more than it is a political or, or legal question. 
And I think Mylander gets at this somewhat too when he discusses personhood. And he notes that discussions of personhood have become exclusive when, when really um, personhood ought to be an inclusive thing, which goes back to the, the, the person being a someone before God. Even the child in the womb is a person, is a someone. They have a history. They are um, a testimony um, to the love of a, a couple. Their DNA is a, a testimony um, to a biological line. They are part of communities already when they are born. Um, and, and so when we use personhood, we, we see it most often used in, in the legal realm to exclude is this a person or not. Um, but for the Christian, uh, we're going to be very generous in, in personhood and say this child is a part of the human family. This is a someone, as Mylander says, <coughs> who has a history. Um, he then is going to talk about um, privacy issues, and I'll leave that for students to, to look at. But then uh, he will have a section on welcoming children. I think this is important for the church um, to keep in mind, too. Uh, we don't necessarily get a chance to love a child um, unless it's brought into the world, right? Some people will argue, well, if you're so pro-life, um, what are you doing for people who are born into poverty and stuff like this? And the answer ought to be we're loving them, right? Um, it, that's not a, a, an entirely poor argument to be dismissed, Um and so I think for the church community or congregation to be pro-life, we ought to remember means also then to be welcoming of children and of all children. It's always struck me as odd that we can claim to be pro-life, but then some, have some churches that will have a, a real culture of hostility towards the unwed parent who's made the right decision, mm-hmm. right, to bring a child into the world um, well, should they be baptized in a private ceremony or a public? Well, that child is a child of God. That child is a member of the community. That child you wanted to be born, you wanted to be born because it's part of the human family. It has a history. And and so to, to be um, messengers of grace, both for those parents uh, who maybe made a hard decision because they knew family would be disappointed if they had had sex out of marriage or whatever the situation might be. Um, But to let that child who was loved enough to be brought into the world know that it is loved richly by Christ um, as well, to be consistent in our pro-lifeness, I guess, in that sense, in the the church, um, probably, you know, one of the leading causes that has led people to abortion um, is shame of what the, their communities that they cherish will have to say about their condition and situation. Um, and, you know, that is something for us to repent of if the church has ever been one of those communities that might have contributed to someone's fear of the sense of shame um, for what is, is taking place. That is not to say that the church should somehow become, as you hear people say, light on sin. 
Um, but it is to say that the church is where sinners ought to gather um, and to feel safe. Um, that's why we call it a, a sanctuary after all. Anything on any of that, Mike? No, I think that's that. That's a huge deal. Uh, you know, I just... It's a fair criticism to say, how can you be pro-life and be, let's say, pro-gun? You know, I mean, obviously you can be both. Um, but from the outside, I do cringe a little bit at those accusations because I think that they can get in the way of the proclamation of the gospel. And so you're right to say, if we're really going to be pro-life, then we should also be certain other things. At the same time, those accusations can be just political games. I, right. I read sent something like some guy was going to have, now he was, a, I think, a Pentecostal church healer, right? So he is going to have church during this pandemic, right? And so, you know, the CNN talking head is, how could you be pro-life and have church in this pandemic? Now, I think both sides are wrong on that for yeah. a variety of reasons, but... Mostly the CNN person just didn't, didn't get it. You know, he didn't do his, uh, enough research on the theology to, to get that. And it, it's a, just a kind of a cheap shot, right? So, uh, yeah, I, 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 not that this is not the, the avenue or the venue for this, this topic, but there are certain things that we Christians do in the name of politics that maybe you could make a case for. Maybe we're just flat out right but boy, do they get in the way of the message of the gospel. Yeah. And I think that has got to be the primary question of, am I going to, because it is kind of an issue. I mean, there is a natural shaming that goes on within a church and with any community. It's not just the church, any community that kind of keeps things down. And it's kind of a good thing, right? Like, don't do this because you're going to be shamed in the greater community. I mean, you could, from as far as, like you, you mentioned maybe somebody having a child out of wedlock to racism, right? You know, um, at the same time, if that gets in the way of the love of Christ to other people, that's a problem. Yeah. Well, I think we can maybe make our way then to genetic advance from the Mylander book then. <clears throat> and here, um, what we're, we're getting at then is to go back to the reproductive argument um, and to what extent does pre pre procreation um, cede too much ground to reproduction? Um, and the idea then of playing God when it comes to children. Um, he does reference C.S. Lewis's The Abolition of Man, which is a book well worth reading for those interested in, in things. Um, but just a, a short section that he has, it kind of gives what he's after. He says on page 44, when we take up the project of shaping future generations in so fundamental a way, we cannot really know what good or ill we may accomplish. We cannot, that is, really know what project we are undertaking. Um, and so he'll continue on the next page. There is, I think, an important difference between treating what everyone acknowledges to be a disease and seeking to enhance intellectual cap capacities. Similar, similarly, we should be wary of the many ways in which some the same techniques used for therapeutic purposes may also be used to make us better than well, may be used, for example, to reduce our need for sleep, to slow the process of aging, to increase skeletal muscle, or to enhance memory capacity. Distinguishing therapy from enhancement in such circumstances is no easy task. And then finally... 
lower on that page, we may never reach a point to which we are prepared, at which we are prepared to accept others, and especially our children as they are, to oppose diseases, but accept persons, whatever their capacities. And I think that sets the stage well for what's coming. Is Mylander is not going to oppose treating illness and disease. Um, what he is going to oppose is going to be an attitude, uh, a disposition, a desire to do more than treat disease, um, but to shape the future. Uh, things that are actually an expression of dissatisfaction with our children um, more than of compassion for them. Uh, and this is uh, this genetic advance is one that right. This is a favorite topic of dystopian novels. We recognize this. Uh, um, I think what Gattaca comes to mind is a movie. Uh, we we have a fear of <clears throat> um, Brave New World uh, stuff like this, of a future world where, um, for social engineering, uh, genetic engineering takes place, and we recognize that in such a world, people can lose their soul. Right? They. Um, they can lose their embodiedness uh, of being something more than a body. Uh, we, we recognize totalitarian regimes of the past. We go, thank God the Nazis didn't get to make, you know, the, the super generation of, uh, you know, Hitler's Aryan dreams. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, and so this is the tension that's there. And the fear societally for Mylander then is that a public health model which is supposed to deal with the health of society, should override a medical model, what is best for individual parents. Um, and so even then, newborn screening uh, could be done for research for the public good, but not for the good of the infants being screened. And here I think of, you know, most famously probably the case of Down syndrome, um, where large-scale screening for Down syndrome has led to a significant decrease of children with Down syndrome walking around and talking. When we were growing up, Mike, you saw, um, uh, you know, children with Down syndrome much more than you, mm -hmm. you do see now. I have a cousin uh, who had Down syndrome, and uh, so I volunteered at school, and I mean, just children that are a joy to be mm -hmm. around. Um, this is the fear that in the name of genetic advance, so what I think it was Iceland a while back said they had eliminated Down syndrome. No, mm -hmm. you've killed all the people mm -hmm. who had it. Um, and so the idea of genetic advance, um, this kind of utopian societal view, uh, sometimes driven by social policy, too, to keep costs down, we're going to be healthier, um, <clears throat> overriding the view of the individual or um, the value of the individual as if uh, the individual is somehow less um, should they um, not meet up to our utopian ideals for what we would like children to be. And that's where I always think it's interesting. Some of the people that God has most clearly worked through in the past um, had, were weak in certain ways, often visibly in their health. Uh, but we somehow get this notion we'd be better off if we... Yeah, you know, we have, we have like two sort of, I don't know, want to say common sense, uh, common knowledge that we all kind of agree upon and, you know, kind of the after, after school, afternoon special kind of thing. One is all people matter, 
right? So we're constantly putting pictures up of somebody who maybe does have Down syndrome or in a wheelchair and say, that person matters, right? That's a human being. We should not be picking on that person. We should not use the R word, all these things. And then this other commonsensical note, uh, uh, notion is, well, if you could prevent this, right. you would not only would you, but you should, you should, right? Because either you're going to bring somebody in here who's not going to have a good full life, however, you know, the definition of which is, is not agreed upon, or that person is going to be a burden uh, financially onto, the, uh, onto society, right? And so those are polar opposites in a lot of ways. So that, that is something to deal with. And if you don't have a understanding of personhood, you're not going to have a, a good handle on that issue. All right, so um, I think we'll leave the genetic advance there. It's pretty well treated in the, the chapter. And next time we record, we're going to pick up with chapters five and six. Five will be prenatal screening, and I think we'll give that somewhat short shrift because it fits with genetic mm-hmm. advance. But then I think what Mike and I might spend our, the bulk of our time on next time we record um, will be chapter six, suicide and euth- euthanasia. Yeah. That's one that usually students want to talk about. So before we go, though, like if you could genetically modify yourself with just one thing, Wade, like you could you you got one one thing you could genetically modify. Would it be asthma? What would it be to take something away or to add something? Either one. That's a good question. Um. I would. Hmm. I'd give myself. Can I, like, I would give myself at least a little bit better musical ability. But can you genetically? I don't know if you can. Let Let's stick to like like I wouldn't be like, maybe so fat or like I'd take the yeah. I was thinking fatness too. Like the fat, like I'm okay being fat, but like spread it out. I I would want to be. I would want to be genetically modified to have a higher metabolism. Yeah. There you go. Because um, my asthma would be better if I were less fat. Yeah. You know, we're both thinning. You hair. You you have just shaved, so you look bald. But we're probably both. Although I haven't. Yeah, right, I haven't shaved my. We're head both well probably now. equally bald. It's just that <laughs> mine isn't as obvious. Um, that'd be a tough one, fat or bald, to get rid of. You know what I mean? I really, I don't, I don't mind the bald because you can shave your head. Yeah, you can't shave I didn't, fat. That's true, but I can't. I mean, I don't know if I look good bald, dude. Yeah, just try it one day. Well, but then it may not come back. That's true. Yeah. So okay. Well, that's that is a serious discussion that I'm sure. I'm sure that is an essay question on your uh, test, right? For well, ethics. It may be now. <laughs> All, right. All right. So next, until next time, let the bird fly. <laughs>